Thanks for checking out sermons from Pleasant Valley Community Church. We hope these messages encourage, convict, and inspire you to love and follow Jesus more faithfully as we seek to saturate our city with the hope of the gospel. Our online resources are meant to serve you, but they aren't a replacement for the face-to-face relationships that we were built for. So we really hope that if you're in Owensboro, you'll join us in person on a Sunday morning. And if you live elsewhere, you'll find a local church in your community where you can put down roots and find family. For more resources and to give financially to support the missions and ministries of Pleasant Valley, find us on social media or visit our website at www.pleasantvalley.cc. Wow, what a privilege I have of being with you this morning. If you have your Bibles open to Ephesians chapter 4 in just a few moments, we're going to stand and read from Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11 through 16. Uh, I just want to begin by letting you know how honored I am to get to preach in the pulpit of Jameis Edwards. Uh, I was his pastor when he was in college, and wow, I consider him mine And I hope you know this, but you got one of our best. There is no young man anywhere in the nation more gifted than what Jameis is. And he has a love for Western Kentucky as I do. And I am so thankful to get to stand and preach. I know you're missing him, but just know it's a great honor that he gives me to preach while he is away. I I, I just can't hardly believe this. Last week... I got to fly 3,800 miles and preach on the bank of the Amazon River. And then last and last night, I got to drive two hours and 15 minutes, and this morning, I get to preach on the bank of the Ohio River. <laughs> wow, God is awesome. Last week, six times, I got to fly on a plane. From Nashville to Miami, from Miami to Manaus, from Manaus to Parenchines, and then I got to catch a speedboat, and I was out on the Amazon River for two and a half years, getting two and a half hours getting to my location. And then I got to do the same thing coming back. My favorite part of flying is takeoff and landing. You know, you're sitting at the gate, you're in your seat, you're ready to get to your destination, and all of a sudden, the pilot begins to prepare you, and the flight attendants begin to prepare you for takeoff, and I don't know about you, but I love that part. When you finally get to the runway, you know you're at the runway because the plane is still, even if you don't have a window seat, you know we're getting ready to take off, and all of a sudden, you feel the power in those engines, and you barrel, you race down that runway, and then you just feel it. You don't have to be looking outside. You know the moment you lift off and you're no longer earthbound you're actually going to fly through the heavens my first flight was two and a half hours my second flight was six hours my last flight was one hour it was amazing now long before the pilot ever warned you and the flight attendants you just feel all of a sudden the nose of the plane start down and you know we're getting ready to land 
And then, of course, the pilot comes on and makes his little announcement. When you're flying to Brazil, it's in two languages. And then the flight attendants start making sure you're ready. And then I don't know about you, but this is my favorite part. I mean, all of a sudden, you're in the air, and you know you're getting ready to touch down. And that moment you touch down, they reverse the engines, and you can't keep your back against the seat. You're thrown forward, and your prayer's been answered. You arrive safely back on the ground. Amen? Now, I tell you all of that to say this. We're going to be studying the book of Ephesians this morning, a few verses. And every time I open the book of Ephesians, I love the Apostle Paul's style of writing. There is a takeoff where we fly through the heavens, and then there's a landing. I love this. Paul's writing to the saints at Ephesus. And when we get to verse 3, I mean, he wastes no time. He immediately takes off, and we soar through the heavens. He said, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavens. And then in chapters 1, 2, and 3, as we look out the window of our seat, Paul begins to tell us what God has done for us in Christ. It's glorious. You realize what God's done for you, right? Paul begins by talking about the work of the Father, the work of the Son, and the work of the Holy Spirit in our salvation. He talks about how the Father made a choice of us before the foundation of the world, how he predestined us to be adopted into his family, how he's blessed us with every spiritual blessing in Christ. And then he says this is to the praise of the glory of his grace. In other words, God did not do this for our glory. He did this for his glory. And then Paul begins to tell us about the work of the Son, how he redeemed us by his blood, even forgave us of all of our sin, past, present, futures, and has made known to us the mystery of God's will. We know what God's doing here on the earth because of Christ. And again, he tells us, to the praise of his glory. Please don't ever think the gospel is man-centered. The gospel is God-centered. And then, while we're up in the heavens, he tells us about the work of the Holy Spirit in our salvation, how he seals us and is the guarantee of our future inheritance. And then while we're floor, sailing through the heavens, soaring through the heavens, he reminds us of something. God is building his church. And the bricks that he used were you and I when we were sinners. And he does not picture us drowning in the Ohio River or drowning on the Amazon River or on Kentucky Lake where I live, but he pictures us dead in sin. No life. But what did God do? He made us alive with Christ. Didn't leave us in that tomb of sin. Raised us up with Christ. And the Bible says we are already seated with him in the heavens at the right hand throne of God. Wow. You're looking at me preach to you this morning, but yet the Bible says I'm already in heaven. Yeah, I'm in Christ. I'm already there. Yet you see me, so there's a sense where I'm already there, but there's also the sense because I'm here and Christ is in me. Christ is here. Is that glorious? Why did God do what he did for us? To make us a trophy of his grace. And then he lets us in on this secret. He's building a church. 
It's going to be made up of Jews and Gentiles. He's going to break down that middle wall of partition that separates between Jews and Gentiles, and he's going to make one new body. And guess where the Spirit of God lives? He lives in us, the church. And then when he closes chapter 3, as we get ready for landing, he reminds us that this was not known in the Old Testament. In the Old Testament, if you read your Old Testament without this view, here's what you think. Israel was God's chosen people, and he's going to bring some Gentiles in, and we're going to get blessed because of Israel. No, that wasn't his plan. His plan in calling Israel to be a nation was Israel was going to bring forth the birth of the Messiah, and when the Messiah comes, guess what God was going to do? He's going to build a new body. Not Jewish, not Gentile, Jews and Gentiles together. No racial distinctions, totally one in Christ, where there's the one place on the planet where you can go and there are no walls of inequality or no walls of division. It's in the church of Jesus. Wow. And then get ready. In chapter 4, verse 1, we land. And when we land, I want you to notice what he's going to do in the last three chapters. Now you say, Brother Ricky, I thought we were... Yeah, we're going to get to chapter 4, verse 11 through 16 in just a moment. But see, at Harden, we preach through books of the Bible verse by verse. We start at the beginning, go all the way to the end. Well, I'm starting in the 11th verse of chapter 4, so i got to give you a preview so you know the context of the passage we're going to talk about. Make sense? So all of a sudden, when we get to chapter 4, verse 1, Paul says, I therefore a prisoner of the Lord urge you to walk worthy of the calling to which you're called. Now, here's what he's going to do. He's going to land this plane, so to speak. And when he lands, he's now going to talk about what we ought to be doing for God since we're in Christ. Hope you caught that. First part of the book teaches what God has done for us in Christ. Last part of the book teaches what we ought to be doing for God since we're in Christ. So I want to say this. Don't you ever do something for God thinking if you do something for God, he'll do something for you. God's already done for you. You do for him because of what he's already done. Amen? Our motivation is not to do for God so he'll bless us. Our motivation for serving God is because he's already blessed us in Christ. That word, therefore, it hardened. Every time we see that word, we stop and see what it's there for. And here's what it's there for. It's to remind us that what he's fixing to say next is based on what he's just said. So did you catch what I just said? Now, here's what Paul wants you to know. He wants each one of us who are part of Christ and a part of Christ's body he wants us to walk worthy of the calling to which we've been called. Now, what we're going to discover here is the calling to which we've been called is this. We are a part of the body of Christ. In chapters 1 through 3, it's clear. God is building a church through Christ. And you and I are part of the church Christ is building. So here's what the Bible says. Because of what God's done for us in Christ, we are to walk worthy of being a member of the body of Christ. This word worthy, it's an interesting word. It's the picture of the ancient scale. It literally means to weigh as much as. Now today when we want to weigh, we step up on a scale that's electronic. It just spits out a number. 
We don't like that number, but it's telling the truth. Well, in the ancient day, when you weighed, you put your standard of weight on one side of the scale, and you put the other thing you were wanting to weigh on this side, and you knew what it weighed when the scale perfectly balanced. So here's the picture. A member of the church, God's goal for you, God's design for you, God's call for you. And on this side, you're supposed to balance the scale. How you doing? One of my fondest memories as a kid was growing up on the farm. And I remember one winter we were working in the shop and I had seen my papa and my dad do this many times. They would get ready to change duels on a tractor and they would put the socket and the wrench and and they'd get ready and and they couldn't do it so they had put an extension bar on there and then they couldn't do it and they would put a pipe about six foot long over the extension bar and I'd see my dad get up on the tire and my dad as an adult man would put all his weight on that and when my dad put all his weight on that, the, the nut would turn and, and they would break it loose. Everybody got that picture? I'll never forget being about eight or nine or seven and it was my time and I saw them go through this process and I thought, I can do that. And just as soon as they slid that six foot bar over that extension bar, I jumped up on that tractor wheel and holding up onto it with all of my weight, I couldn't move it. So I started jumping up and down and as I jumped up and down, it just kind of wiggled a little, but it never broke loose. I was so disappointed. I'd seen my dad do it many, many times. I tried it, couldn't do it. And when I got back down on the ground, I'll never forget this. My papa looked at me and caught me eye to eye, and he said this, son, you don't have enough lead in your britches. (laughs) So I looked at my little britches, and I literally went around the shop, opening up all of the drawers for the tools, and I was putting wrenches and sledgehammers and everything I could in my britches so that I would have enough lead in my britches and I jumped up on there again couldn't do it now can I just say 50 something years later I got enough lead in my britches to now do it now here's what I want to ask you this morning as a member of Pleasant Valley Community Church do you have enough lead in your britches We're going to talk about are we being the church God wants us to be in Owensboro. And not just Owensboro, but around the world. That's the context. So here's what he's going to tell us. Let's all stand together. Open your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11 through 16. My 40 minutes of preaching time starts now. (laughs) Amen. Amen. Everybody ready? Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11 through 16. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness in deceitful schemes. Rather, listen to this, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped When each part is working properly, 
makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Father, one more time this morning, we ask you, as we always ask it hard, and fill us with your spirit. Anoint us not only to speak, anoint us to listen. Father, we do not want to be hearers only, and I do not want to be a speaker only. We want to be doers of your word. Father, we believe you have a plan for your word this morning in the life of this church, but especially in the life of some of the parts in this church. Father, challenge us as only you can do. Speak to us now so that when we go away, we know you have spoken. And then let our life, life, what you've spoken to us out in this community in which we live. Thank you so much for your son, Jesus. And it's in his precious name we pray. Amen. Did y'all hear it? In our brief review as we flew through the heavens of Ephesians 1 through 3, we discovered that God through Christ is building his church. And now as we land back on the earth, the Apostle Paul reminds us that each one of us are being used by God to build his church. Wow. God is building his church through Christ, but Christ is in heaven. He's our head. We're his body. We're on the earth, which means what? God's building his church through now, we've got a saying, we say at Harden. We've been saying this ever since I became pastor because when I became pastor at Harden, we decided to build our church on this principle of Ephesians 4, 11 through 16. Everything we do at Harden for the past 40 years is built on this passage. But I'll never forget going to a Bible conference in Paducah, Kentucky, and I heard a Bible teacher by the name of Ron Dunn, and he was teaching in the book of Romans. I do not remember a thing Ron taught. It was a good lesson. Don't remember a thing he taught, but he said something that caught my attention. He said this. The main thing is to keep the main thing the main thing. And we have built that saying of Ron's into the DNA of Harden. Now, you got to remember that Harden's a little town in Marshall County on the border with Callaway County, on the edge of Kentucky Lake near Jonathan Creek, and we're a town of about 400 people. But we've been blessed that not only do people from the small town of Hardin come, but we have people who come outside the town, and most of those people who come outside the town are like me. They're not city folks like the people who live in Hardin. We're country folks. So we've had to modify our saying a little bit. See, the people who live in our town who come to our church, they're proper. They say the main thing is to keep the main thing the main thing. But those of us who are raised out in the country, we don't say it that way. We say the main thing is to keep the main thing the main thing. Now, so that we'll be unified and not be divided between city folks and country folks because God's broken down that middle wall of petition between country people and city people, amen? Here's how we modify the saying. We now say this at Harden. The main thing thing is to keep the main thing thing the main thing thing. Now, if you don't remember anything else I say this morning, I want you to remember the main thing thing is to keep the main thing thing the main thing thing. So what we're going to do is we're going to look at this passage and try to understand what the main thing thing is. Paul has just talked about the unity of the church. But in the unity of the church, he wants us to understand there is diversity. And so here's what he's going to tell us. 
He's going to tell us that God so loved his church that when Christ ascended back to the Father's right-hand side, he looked down, saw his infant church. It was a baby, so to speak. 3,000 souls saved and added to the church on the day of Pentecost. Can you imagine being a baby church and now you've got 3,000 new babies? So guess what Christ did when he got back to heaven? He gifted his church with leaders. It says he gave some apostles. Now what this is saying is he gave some churches apostles. He gave some churches prophets. He gave some churches evangelists, and he gave some churches pastor. It says, and teachers, uh uh-uh. Pastor teacher describes one office. The role of the man who pastors the church must teach God's word. So we have four spiritual gifts to the church, and these are gifts from God. You recognize, right? As a church, you have a precious gift from God in Jameis and his wife and their family. God looked at Pleasant Valley Church and said, man, I want to gift them. I want to give them the leader they need. I want to give them the pastor teacher they need. He's not an apostle. He's not a prophet. He's not an evangelist. He's a shepherd. And he teaches as he shepherds. And I've got to meet the pastoral staff of this church while you have been blessed. And here's what I want you to understand. They're gifts from God to you. Any of you ever have somebody give you a gift? I mean, when I get a gift from somebody, I go, wow, this is really cool. I really love it when I get those gifts that I know the person knows me. Now, now I want to say I'm not one of those re-gifters. So when somebody gives me something, I don't give it to somebody else. I keep it. We need to quit re-gifting in the church. And the church needs to recognize that our leaders in our church are precious gifts from God. And we need to be thankful to him for the gift of pastoral leadership. Now, why does God, according to this passage, give the gift of pastoral leaders to the church? It's so the pastor leader will equip the saints. Now, some of you probably will not remember this, but there was a day in Western Kentucky when most of us read out of the old King James Version of the Bible. And when we read this passage, it had three commas. And so everybody in the Baptist church understood this, that we hire a pastor And he's supposed to equip the saints. He's supposed to do the work of ministry. And he's supposed to build up the body of Christ. And what happened for many decades was this happened in Western Kentucky. The church became a spectator sport. We paid a pastor. We prayed for the pastor. We encouraged the pastor. We told everybody about our pastor. We invited everybody to come hear him preach. And on Sunday morning, he performed. And wow, we sat in the stands and we watched and we applauded. And then one of those bigger churches would come and get him. And we'd have to start all over again. Well, all of a sudden we realize that's not what this passage teaches. God did not gift you with Jameis and your pastoral staff so that they'll equip the saints and do the work of ministry and edify the body of Christ. Guess what? They only do one thing, and here's what they do. They equip the saints. 
If you come to Hardin Baptist Church, Brother Ricky does one thing. I equip the saints. If I'm going to keep the main thing, the main thing in my life, I understand my role as the leader at Harden. it is to equip the saints. And I equip the saints through my teaching preaching. And that's what Jameis does. And that's what your pastoral staff does. Now, and I want, I want to point this out to you. I know Jameis points this out to you too. Matter of fact, I think the first time I came here, I preached on identity from the book of Colossians. I was raised in a little Baptist church, and every time there was a testimony in our church, the person who would stand up, usually my granddaddy Bogart first, he would say something like this, now y'all all know me, and you know I'm just an old sinner saved by grace. And then he'd give his testimony. Now my granddaddy Bogart taught me that we Baptists were people of the book. And if we're doing it, it's in the book. If it's not in the book, we don't do it. Well, I began to study the book, and guess what? Never found that phrase, save sinner. Never saw Paul write to the church at Ephesus and call them the saved sinners or Corinth or Rome or Philippi or Colossae. Have you ever found it? No. When Paul addresses the church, you know what he calls us? He calls us saints. Saint is not something you become after you die and get voted into it. Saint is not a description of your behavior. It's a description of our identity. If you have repented of sin and put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, you are a saint of God. And this word saint means you are a holy one. You are a set apart one. It means at the moment of salvation, God set you apart from a life of self-centeredness and sinfulness to a life of service and salvation in his son Jesus. And the moment you became a Christian, God did not leave you as you were and just pronounce you saved. The person you were was dead. You were dead to God, alive to sin. You were a sinner. It was your nature to sin. You couldn't help but sin. You were a sin waiting to happen. Don't tell me when you have your child born or your grandchild born, oh, he's a little angel. No, he's a little devil. <laughs> you just wait till you bring that little fella home. Amen? You were dead. God made you alive in Christ. You are no longer dead to God and alive to sin. You are now alive to God, dead to sin. It is not your nature to want to sin now. You now want to do right because you have a new nature within you. Amen? Yes, saints can still sin, but it's not our nature to sin. We can't live a lifestyle of sin. That's why the pastoral staff is here. They're here because of you, the saints. If you're a saint here, would you just raise your hand so I know who I'm preaching to this morning? Amen. Now I want you to throw that hand up and be proud to throw your hand up. Man, it hardened when I see people at Walmart and I see people at the DG, I'll say, hey, St. Bill. And boy, they used to want to hide. No, I want everybody knowing who we are in Christ. See, if you don't know your identity, if you think you're a sinner, just saved, but you're still a sinner... You're going to make an excuse for sinning. You're going to do something really bad as a husband. You're going to tell your wife, 
You just got to live with that. That's just, just who I am. No, that's not who you are. Don't be like Simba and listen to the wrong advice. You are more than you have become. You're a saint of God. And that's why we have a pastoral staff here. To equip us the saints. I love this word equip. It's a, it's a word picture. It was used in the biblical world to get a net ready to fish with. It was used to get an army ready to go to battle. But here's my favorite use of it. It was used to get a ship ready to sail. You live here on the bank of the Amazon River. I mean, on the Ohio River. I live near Kentucky Lake. And we've all been to the lake. You've been to the river, and you've seen the different kind of boats we have. You've seen the personal watercraft on the Ohio River, but then you've seen those barges on the Ohio River. Agreed? One of my favorite things when I go to Brazil is I, I love to be on the bank of the Amazon River, sitting on the bank or walking on the bank or being in a boat on the river. Uh, I, I, I don't mean no disrespect here, but I promise you there is no mighty Mississippi River. When you've seen the Amazon River, it's like a little creek. The Amazon River is miles and miles and miles wide. And I will be on that river, and the next thing you know, there will be a cargo ship, ocean-going cargo ship that came from Asia. And it goes down the Amazon River to Manaus. And I will see 20 or 25 ocean-going cargo ships unloading or loading cargo on that ship, either bringing it from Asia or sending it back to Asia. It's amazing. But then from time to time when I'm in parenting training my pastors, I'll look out there and I'll see another kind of ship. It's called a cruise ship. Now, another ship's different. Instead of having cargo containers on it, it's got people on it. And all of a sudden, when it stops in Parenchines, they'll have little boats and people on that boat get off of that boat and they come into Parenchines and they enjoy the city of Parenchines. And those of us who are Brazilians, uh, we can tell them. They're tourists. They're enjoying everything on the boat. The boat's all about them. They come into our town of Parenchines and everything's about them. Now, let me ask this question. If you were to compare yourself in the church at Pleasant Valley, would you identify this church as a cruise ship? Or would you identify it as a cargo ship? My son and his family with Katie's family just got off the Disney Wish, a big cruise ship that took them through the Caribbean for about four days. And when they got off the boat and they were sending pictures and they was telling us about the trip, there was 5,000 people on this boat, 4,000 guests, 1,000 people paid by the cruise line of Disney just to make sure that every need they had was met. And I just want you to know, once they paid their money, everything about that trip was all about them. It was all about them. And I want to be honest with you, they had a great, great time with everything being about them. And that's how some people view the church. We're a cruise ship. We got the pastoral staff. We've bought our ticket. We give our tithe. And you know what? It's all about me. Everything in the church is about me. 
And what we're supposed to do is just get me from Owensboro to heaven. But until I get there, wow, make sure every need I have is taken care of. Because life's all about me. Somebody show me where that's in Scripture. It's not. We are not a cruise ship. We are a cargo ship. We are in this boat for one reason, and that's because of the precious cargo that's been loaded into our lives, and that's the good news of God's Son, Jesus Christ, and what He did on that cross, not just for us, but for the sins of the whole world, not just the people in Harden and Owensboro, but the people in the farthest parts of the world. We've been entrusted with the good news of Jesus Christ. And it's been loaded into our lives at Owensboro, but we're supposed to be unloading it in the various ports of destination. That's the places of business. That's the restaurants. That's the school system. That's in our personal homes. Is that what you believe this church is? Boy, once you buy into that, it changes the way you view yourself and it changes the way you view the church. You don't view the church as being about you. You view the church as being about the gospel. And you bring your life in line with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Amen. Why is the pastoral staff equipping the saints? This goes, guess who does the work of ministry? The saints. Wow, what a privilege. I, I want to say this. Uh, I was raised on a family farm. And I never had the thought that I worked for my dad or my papa. They always taught me I was working with them. You don't work for God. You work with him. It's a partnership. And guess who gets the privilege of doing the work of ministry? It's us, the saints. So when we pray for the pastoral staff, we're going to pray they keep the main thing, the main thing. What's the main thing? Equip us, the saints. But when we pray for ourselves and we pray for each other, what are we going to pray? We're going to pray that we keep the main thing, the main thing. And what's the main thing for us? It's to do the work of ministry. This word work is where we get our English word energy from. We, the saints, are the energy of the church, not the pastor, not the staff. It's us. Now, from time to time in America and around the world, we have what's called an energy crisis. And everybody's got different theories about the energy crisis. What I'm concerned about, is there an energy crisis in this church? Is there an energy crisis at the church at Hardin? Shouldn't be. Because, man, there's a bunch of you. This word ministry, it's where we get our Baptist word deacon from. I don't know if this church has deacons or not, but we do at Harden. This word literally deacon is from a Greek word dikonos, which literally means to have dirty feet. Now, I kid my fellow deacons in our church all the time. I call them when we have a deacons meeting. I'll say, how are you dirty-footed ones doing? 
And then you know what the Bible says about those who preach the good news, right? We got beautiful feet, so they call me the beautiful-footed one. Now get this picture. All of us who are saints, we should have dirty feet. See, in the biblical world, if you were a servant, the way you could tell you were a servant was you didn't wear shoes. Sons and daughters wore shoes. Servants did not. So if you were a servant in dry season, you had dusty feet. In rainy season, you had muddy feet, but your feet was always dirty. Do you have dirty feet? See, ministry in the church is that place where we roll up our britches legs and we roll up our shirt sleeves and we get dirty. Serving others, serving God. Yeah, and that's you. If you are a saint of this church, if you are a saint in the church you attend, I want you to get this picture. You are a part of the body of Christ. And Paul uses the analogy of a body. It has different parts. And you are a part. You have a specific responsibility of ministry. And you bring a certain energy level to that ministry. As you are equipped by the pastoral staff here at this church. So I want to ask this question. Are you a part? Are you doing your part? We got a lot of parts that don't do their part. Do you know what your spiritual giftedness is? See, the moment you were born of God, Holy Spirit of God gave you a gift, enabling, that you didn't get from your mom and daddy. It wasn't in your physical gene pool. It's in your spiritual DNA. And this gift was given to you, not for you to use for your glory, but for you to use for the body of Christ. And you have a certain ministry inside the walls of this building or outside the walls of this building. Here in the Owensboro or outside the area of Owensboro. And for this body to be the body that it needs to be, you need to not only be a part, you need to do your part. You need to take your spiritual gift and use it in a place of ministry. Why? So the body will grow. Let me remind you again, when we soar through the heavens, what's God doing? He's building his church. In four through six, we learn how he's building it. He's building it through us. He has spiritually gifted you and I to have a place of ministry in the church. And he gives us a spiritual enabling to carry out that ministry. And guess what the work of ministry does? It builds up. It edifies the body of Christ. Now, I want to make sure you understand this. Brother Ricky at Hardin and Jameis at Pleasant Valley is not growing this church. It's the work of ministry that grows the body of Christ. I believe that with all of my heart. And Jameis believes that too. This pastoral staff believes that too. Now, I want to show you about this word edify, build up. It's an interesting word. It's a word that literally refers to the warmth of a fire. And it's the picture of an ancient fire that would give off heat. You build a fire and it gives off heat. It edifies, it builds up, gets you warm. That's what ministry does. Ministry gives you a place as a saint to come alongside another saint 
and do ministry together. And as you do ministry together, it ignites a fire in the church. It ignites heat in the church and in the community. And people are drawn to see a church working together. Not for themselves, but for the glory of God. And it's the picture of just building a fire. Have you ever noticed when you build a fire, you don't lay one log here and one log here and then burn this log and burn that log? What do you do? Get those logs together. And if they're big logs, do any of you bring some little pieces together called kindling? And you try to get the little thing started first. And if you get the little thing started, then next thing you know, it catches to the big thing. And have you ever noticed that fire burns where the wood's touching? What happens after a while? After a while, those two pieces of wood will burn where they're connected. But the moment they disconnect, there's a piece here and a piece here and a piece here and a piece there. What happens? They quit burning. So if you're like me and you camp a lot and you're a professional fire builder, you got a poker. You got something you use and when they start burning apart, you get them back together. But before they burn apart, how many of you keep an eye on it and occasionally put somebody else, another piece of wood on the fire? And if you've got a piece over there that looks kind of green, you don't use that to start the fire. But once the fire gets really hot, you can take that green stick, put it on that fire, and poof, that green stick will eventually learn what it's supposed to do, right? Y'all get where I'm going? That's the picture of ministry. Some of us are kindling. Some of us are that seasoned stick of wood. And God wants us to have a place to minister where we rub shoulders to shoulders with people. But he doesn't want us just to stay in that same relationship. He wants to bring others in. And there's that person who has no idea to do what you're doing, and they're as green as green can be. But God wants you with your buddy to bring them in. So they'll catch on fire too. God doesn't want just a few hot spots in Owensboro. He wants the whole city on fire. And what causes the city to catch on fire is the church keeping the main thing, the main thing, pastoral staff equipping the saints, saints doing the work of ministry, and our ministries building up the body of Christ. Are you a part? Are you doing your part? Many, many years ago, I was at the campground and got up the next morning in that blazing fire. Now had two pieces of a log and it was just a little piece on this end and a little piece on this end, but the main part had burned out. And, and this piece that I held in my hand, it was scarred. And you could tell it had been on fire once. And I felt like the Spirit of God spoke to me. Some of us have served in the church and we've burned brightly and hot for God. And we're now wanting to preserve what's left of us. We would really like in our flesh for somebody to put us on the mantle and go, whoa, you should have seen what he used to do. Wow. No. Can I switch analogies with you? My mom had 
eight brothers and sisters. My granddaddy Bogard would build a fire. He would start the fire in the middle of September, would not let it go out to, I don't know, July 31st. Anytime the fire temperature got below 85 degrees in the house, he would put another stick on a little wood stove that heated the entire house. Eight kids raised in this little house, about five rooms, and only one source. You know what I saw my granddaddy Bogart do? I saw my granddaddy keep poking that fire, and he would poke that fire, and I never saw him take a log out. He would always put logs in. But when he cleaned out the firebox, you know what was underneath that fire? An ash pan. And every morning, my granddaddy boy would pull, do y'all know who I'm talking about? The, the coals would fall through. That log had burned completely up. The ashes, he would pull the ash pan out, and we would take the ashes, and we'd go down beside the garden, and he had this big pile of ashes. And I'll never forget camping one time. Holy Spirit of God saying to me, you can look like this log at the campfire, or you can be the fire in Granddaddy Bogard's stove. There can be a little bit of you left and everybody can talk about what all you've done for God. Or you can so live your life that you're completely consumed so that when you die, there's nothing left of you. All we're going to do is throw you out on the ash heap. That's how I want to live my life for God. I'm not going to serve God for a certain amount of time and then retire. I'm not talking about being a pastor. I'm talking about being a Christian and decide all of a sudden the last 10 years of my life is all about me because I've given my best years to God. No, we're going to give our life till the day we die or till Jesus comes back. Amen? Why? Because right now doesn't count just right now. Right now counts forever. We are part of a cargo ship. There are other destinations that have not heard about Jesus Christ. That's why we're searching the banks of the Amazon River. That's why we're training churches to go further into the jungle. That's why we're working with seven indigenous nations. Why? Because Harden's been invested with the cargo of God, Jesus, the gospel. And you have too. And while we're going there, let's not forget to go here. There are people in Walmart and the DG and in your school system and people you work with who God loves just as much as he loves that person on the bank of the Amazon River or that person in the Philippines. Let's not forget it's not here or there. It's here and there. It's not out there or in here. It's both. So I just want to challenge you. Will you help keep the main thing the main thing? Because the main thing, let me say it hard and style, the main thing thing is to keep the main thing thing the main thing thing. Are you doing your part? Our worship team is going to come now and we're going to prepare for our last song. We're going to let this be a time of response, a time where you can respond to God. I had several people after the first service, we had several people who come forward. Some other people said, I just couldn't come forward, but I made a decision. Most important thing is for you to respond to God. Yes, you can do it right where you're sitting. But if you're part of this church, and you know you're not doing your part, but you want to do your part, or you want to do your part more effectively, why don't you just slip out of your chair and come down here and kneel right here in front of us and 
Just let the church know when God knows I am a part and I want to do my part. And I'm going to keep the main thing, the main thing from here on. And I'm going to make sure we're a cargo ship for the glory of God. If you're here and you're not a part, you can be a part. If the Holy Spirit of God's convicting you and you want to repent of sin and put your faith in Christ, you can become a part of the body of Christ. We got counselors who would love to talk with you. Let's now respond to not Brother Ricky, but the preached word of God from Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11 through 16. Let's stand together. Thanks for checking out sermons from Pleasant Valley Community Church. For more resources and to give financially to support the missions and ministries of Pleasant Valley, find us on social media or visit our website at www.pleasantvalley.cc.